0: Wings for the game, boom, cash back. New lucky jersey, boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash debit, Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. I am Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Ayer, and we got some clarity today on a subject that I know uh, a lot of you have been asking about, obviously one that's very important for the Red Wings and for Tyler Bertuzzi, and that was uh, the update today that, that Tyler Bertuzzi did undergo back surgery in New York last Friday. The Red Wings called it a successful surgery uh, obviously, though, back surgery for a, a young player, uh, that that's one of the more major procedures that you can have, uh, you know, stemming from from a hockey injury here.
2: Yeah, I mean, back surgery is always the, the scary one. And obviously, we don't know exactly what it is. So it's, you know, there's no point in really speculating on likelihood of him being healthy and things like that. I think the team's already said that they expect him to be at 100% for the start of next season. But that back injury is sort of a scary thing after watching what Henrik Zetterberg kind of had to go through, uh, you know, in 2016 with uh, his back injury in the Olympics and being able to to recover and come back from that. So certainly a, a scary thing for a guy who is figuring to be one of the core forwards for the Red Wings moving forward in their rebuild.
1: Yeah, I mean, and so I, I guess we'll kind of have to wait until, um, you know, next time we see Tyler Bertuzzi to see how he's doing. I mean... Jeff Blasher kind of made the point today, every every person is different. Every recovery is different from something like this. So, you know, is it, you know, Danita Kaiser's re- recovery from back surgery obviously took an immensely long amount of time. They, meanwhile, are, are saying they expect Tyler Bertuzzi back for the start of the 2021-22 season. Well, that, that's in, you know, five months. So um, that would seem to be a, a, a positive outlook on this. But it, it's going to be a wait and see, and I, I think um, obviously the, the the contract negotiation becomes uh, complicated by a situation like this, and when, what you do with that. He's one year from unrestricted free agency, so if you do a one year deal, it, it's a one year deal right to unrestricted free agency. If you do a long term deal, you know that, that there's obviously you know there's complications to that too if, if there is any uncertainty. So uh, I don't think that's the important thing today. We'll have plenty of time to to get to that. Uh, in the coming you know days and weeks uh, on the outlook there, but um, I think the important thing right now is the Red Wings said it was a successful surgery, and certainly I think I speak for both of us when I say we, we hope Tyler uh, you know recovers well and and you know is in good spirits as, as he gets through this these especially these early parts.
2: Yeah, I mean that's got to be the number one focus for him moving forward. Is you just hope he's uh, able to recover well, able to get back on the ice, able to get back to playing, um, and get back to being a, a big contributor for the Red Wings moving forward.
1: Yeah, Robbie Fabry also announced today won't play this weekend, Uh, so his season is over. He hasn't played in weeks now either. Um, He was back on the ice today in a you know full practice jersey. He had previously been in a non-contact jersey, so that's actually honestly probably promising news more so than than, uh, any of the other will not return this season uh, situations. I mean, Robbie Fabry's missed enough time now, though, that um, you know it it just would have been probably difficult for him to get back into uh you know the the kind of game ready uh, situation that you need to be especially for a back to back and with with two games left i mean i i don't know if it was just precautionary or what but i i certainly think precautionary would have made a lot of sense in that situation
2: yeah i mean again the the huge risk when you bring a guy back who's missed so many games in a row uh for just a couple games you're risking injury and and that's just another thing that he doesn't need after Kind of the, the the challenges he had to stay healthy for this this season, so it just didn't make a lot of sense to really go go and put him through that, in my opinion. Yeah,
1: so Red Wings will have their last two games against Columbus Friday and Saturday. They'll do it uh, as they have been for the last couple of weeks, very shorthanded. handed. Um, but you'll continue to see you know looks from a lot of the young players, uh, and and whatever they can show and prove, and you, you know they'll be very motivated to put you know some some good things on on film. Going into the offseason and, and you know, so that the decision makers can you know have have a good impression left in their minds as they go about conceptualizing what holes they have and what they need to fill this off season. I I think one interesting development that happened today came out of Sweden. Johan Svensson of Expressen reported that uh, Jonathan Berggren will not return to Sheleftia, which is his SHL team, and uh, you know I think the the logical conclusion there would be. Okay, does that mean he's coming to North America? Bergen has not yet signed an ELC with the Red Wings. I don't believe he can until he's released from the national team, uh, which may be some time yet. but uh, once his obligations there with the Swedish Federation are up, he could come he could sign an ELC and I think that would put him in position to uh, come over to North America and, and either challenge for a spot with the Red Wings or you know start, start his transition to North America and Grand Rapids, one of the two potentially.
2: Yeah, I think uh, that the writing's certainly on the wall here that as soon as he's eligible to do it, I think he'd have to expect he he gets that uh, deal signed. Obviously, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to sign as the Wings have his rights all the way through 2022, the summer of 2022. Uh, But you'd have the the next natural step after him, you know, being so successful at the SHL level this year really is the next challenge is either the AHL or, or the NHL. And so it'll be interesting to see. Um, which way he goes, but either way, expect him to get his ELC done this summer and uh be over in North
1: America for next season. Timing wise, I mean, he Bergen did not light up the SHL playoffs. I think he had four assists in twelve games, no goals in the SHL playoffs, but he did uh, just light up a couple of exhibitions for the Swedish national national team with four assists in two games uh, out of 10 total goals scored by the Swedish team against Norway so uh, that is a pretty good note I guess to to end his uh, well I guess he he could still make the um, world championship team for um, Sweden which I think you know would be a very promising sign for him and and honestly if he's able to do that I think it maybe even ups your confidence that he could challenge uh for a spot in the NHL right away. I, I think when you look at at what the playoff production was, which was, you know, pretty far cry from his regular season production, that would have been one of the areas to point to and say maybe he's not ready to step right in to the NHL. If he makes the world championship team and looks and holds his own there, yeah, I think that may be a more promising indicator for him.
2: Yeah, I mean the the playoff numbers are sort of tough um, you know, to to wrap your head around. I mean he actually pulled up three points in the first round against Lalea, um in, there, in that series. And then obviously Rogla being as good of a defensive team as they were. Um, I think that was certainly a big challenge for, for Skleftia to, to be able to score against that team. And I think Bergman was no exception. He only got one point in that series there. I think my my sort of bias is not to read too much into the, the playoff uh, numbers, given how impressive he was through the regular season. And even still four points in 12 games is... It's not necessarily anything to turn your nose up at um, relative to his, his scoring production. So I don't know that I would necessarily use that to say one way or another, whether he's, I guess, NHL versus AHL. I think it'll really come down to what training camp looks like. And, you know, how, how does he do when he has less of a perimeter to work on? Cause that was always the big knock yeah. on him was he was, you know, far too much of a perimeter player, at least early on. I think he's been a lot more aggressive in getting towards the middle of the ice. Obviously, if you're talking about an international rink versus an American rink, the the big or North American rink, you're you're knocking 15 feet off in width. And so, you know, when you lose that 15 feet or seven and a half feet on either side, um, and the defense is that much closer to you, how how well can Bergen continue to attack the middle? Um, that'll I think be what ultimately dictates whether he starts in the AHL or the NHL.
1: I don't see a reason why he won't be able to make that transition in time. Um, But I just think, as always, you want to know what the impact is and and how long it takes for him to make. I mean, like Bergeron has a lot of tools. It's not like he's someone who just stands there on the perimeter and uses good vision to pick out passes. He's a good skater. He has skill, uh, and he does have that that vision to create those plays. I still think he's going to be an effective playmaker in the NHL. He doesn't have... Uh, you know, kind of an eye-catching shot per se. It's something he can work on. I think the more he's able to um, infiltrate the middle of the ice, especially with his passing, it could make his his passing play up. If you make those passes from a dangerous area with two guys close to you, probably means they're not close to the guy you're passing to, or or, or at least that that person's going to have some time and space. So we'll see what happens here with Berger. I mean, he, he's a guy that I've tried to be a little more cautious with, just because you do wonder how much of the of the production translates and how quickly, but. Um, you know, he's certainly a guy that I think there's, there's lots of room to be excited about, you know, the way he scored in Sweden this year doesn't happen extremely often for players his age.
2: Yeah. And and that's the interesting part about it is I think the Red Wings are actually in somewhat of a unique situation because if you kind of go back through their, their draft history, really the last, I think, prominent player they had that they had drafted out of a European league that they were then tasked with bringing over in a short period of time was probably Thomas Tatar uh, back in the 2009 entry draft and how they kind of proceeded to bring him along. And obviously, you know, he went into Grand Rapids and started there. Um, but, you know, there, there's a it's something the Red Wings haven't necessarily been tasked a whole lot with. Um, I mean, Kelly Yarncrock was another guy, but they ultimately traded him before he ever really cracked the lineup. Um, And outside of that, there's not really a whole lot of European players um, that they've taken at the top of the league or at the top of the draft to really have, I guess, this kind of experience. So I'm very curious to see what their approach is going to be here moving forward, uh, because they're going to obviously have this with Berggren, they're going to have this with Albert Johansson. They're going to have this with Lucas, Lucas Raymond. um, And then in years to come, they're going to have to deal with, you know, Emil Vero. Uh, and and Theodore Niederbach and 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 other guys along those lines. So I'm kind of interested to see what their I guess development path looks like for each of those guys.
1: I mean, one of the guys who at least scored at a comparable rate at the same age in the SHL was Victor Arvidsson. So as as a uh, 20 to 21 year old in uh, in the SHL in 2013 14, he had 40 points in 50 games. He comes over, spends most of the next season in the AHL and, and dominates the AHL. Um, and then he gradually, you know, takes on more and more of a load in in the NHL. And I, I'm not saying that I think Jonathan Berger is going to be Victor Arvidsson, but I'm just kind of giving you, you know, that, you know, in terms of stature, pretty pretty close there. Berger might be a little bit bigger actually, um, and, and in terms of you know that level of production in the SHL at that age, it it still took Arvidsson some time to make that adjustment in the AHL. But we will see. I mean, Nashville also. I don't I don't remember how Nashville was in 2014 15, but. Uh, they seemed to me, if I recall right, that they were still in a better spot than uh, the Red Wings are right now in terms of competition for someone like Bergeron to try to beat out. Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, they were only a couple years um, away from being a, a Cup Stanley team. Cup team, yep. right? So, you know, that was, a, that was still a pretty good Nashville Predators team and obviously a much better situation than uh, where the Red Wings are right now. So that may have also kind of allowed Nashville to slow play that um, a little bit more than, than Detroit potentially could. That being said... You know, you kind of look at the way the Red Wings roster is shaping up for next season and it sort of depends, you know, going back to the last episode, how many of those veterans do you bring back between Luke Lendanning, Sam Gagne, Bobby Ryan? You know, mm-hmm. if you don't bring any of them back, then potentially there is, you know, a top nine spot for Jonathan Bergen to be able to jump right in. If you bring one or two of them back, then I think it becomes that more that much more difficult for him to crack the lineup. And they may elect to slow play it a little bit by at least seeing him in Grand Rapids to a certain uh, or for for a short period of time before moving them forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, so we'll see we'll see how that goes. Uh, to me, you look at the way that the Red Wings handled some of their veterans this year. I mean, let's say they let's say they do bring back two of those three veterans, Glendenning, Gagne, Ryan. With the way that they handled veterans this year, I know it was kind of a constant frustration for fans who would often see at least you know one or two of these veterans who. Uh, were in the lineup, but they also were pretty willing to scratch guys like Philippa guys like Nielsen, depending on the game. And, and certainly I, I do think all three of those players that we just mentioned, glen and Gagne, and Bobby Ryan are more effective than Philippa and Nielsen have been. But to me, that does signal that if you sign those guys and one of your prospects pushes through, I do think there's a path for them. They just probably have to be good enough to warrant it.
2: Yeah, I think the big difference will be I think my expectation, uh, expectation is the taxi squad goes away, and I think that really allowed yeah. um, Detroit point. to be a little bit more aggressive with those veterans, being able to scratch them and move them down to the taxi squad while still keeping them on the active roster. You had that expanded roster, which allowed them um, to do that. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that as much this season if the taxi squad do, does go away like I think most people think it will. Um, but that being said, you know uh, the difference will be – what they do with Franz Nielsen, I guess we still don't know what they do with him, whether they buy him out uh, or they, they kind of write out this last year. If they buy him out, then that's another veteran that you don't uh, necessarily have to have the ability to scratch. And then it comes down to, well, if you're re-signing Gagne, Glenn or Bobby Ryan, I don't know that you're necessarily scratching those guys. Uh, otherwise, you may be considering uh, that may be an odd kind of decision to sign. And so really at that point, the veterans left up front – Richard Ponick, um, that's it, right? Right. So, you know, it might be a little bit interesting for to see how the Wings could create space next year, which is why I think what they do with those three veterans is going to be really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's one of the earliest big decisions that I, I see, and it may not be one of the earliest uh, that are decided. You know, I mean, you're probably waiting until the expansion draft has concluded to make that decision and sign any of them. Although I'm not sure any of them would be real threats to be claimed by Seattle. It probably wouldn't be something you had to wait on, but it's kind of the, if you have time, use it, I guess you might, you, you don't really lose anything by waiting in this case. If you're Steve Heiserman.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You really don't. And honestly, it allows you to see, you know, allows you to get some more information to again, better inform you how to proceed at that point. Cause you know, if Evgeny Svechnikov or Giovanni Smith's claim that informs you in one direction, if it ends up being, you know, a Dennis Chalowski or a Gustav Lindstrom, then that informs you in a different direction. So I think uh, there's no real rush on Eisenman to kind of sort that out, um, you know, at least at this point.
1: So if you project that the Red Wings hold on to, whether by protecting them or whether by them not being claimed in the expansion draft, if you project that the Red Wings are going to hold on to both Adam Ernie and Vladislav Nemesnikov up front, um, it seems like you would have, what, nine, kind of ten 10 forward spots that are kind of spoken for right now between Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, Robbie Fabry, Philip Sedina, Jacob Vrana, Michael Rasmussen. Are you giving a spot to Joe Valeno yet? I mean, it it
2: certainly seems like it's trending that way. So I think you might want to err on that
1: side. And then Nemesnikov and Ernie, that'd be nine. Richard Ponick would be 10. So that's kind of 10 forward spots spoken for, at least on the roster. So you probably have three to four more forward roster spots there.
2: Yeah, yeah, if you're going for your 14 forwards or 13 forwards.
1: So that leaves some some decisions to make. You can you can sign some of those guys that we mentioned, your Glenn Dennings, your Ryans, your Gagne's. You can bring in some outside free agents. You can promote a couple prospects, certainly Giovanni Smith knocking right on that door. And maybe you do get into a Jonathan Bergen or a Lucas Raymond. Um, but I, to me, that's kind of the early contours of what the forward uh, decisions look like this offseason.
2: Yeah, and, and ultimately it'll be really interesting to see because I think there's so many different avenues that eisman can go down that it's just so hard to project but either way i think the easy thing both of us can say is jonathan Bergman's going to be in north america next year
1: it would certainly seem that way although uh let's wait until the elc the ink is dry and all that stuff before we uh proclaim it too boldly right yeah
2: i mean i guess I'm, you think he's signing over in the khl i'm not sure what the next uh, what the next challenge is for him
1: Fair enough. All right, so the main segment we're going to do today uh, comes courtesy of Phil Roberto. As a reminder, if you want, if you have a, a topic that you want us to spend a little more time on than we get the chance to with some of these mailbag questions, you can always email it to me at mboltman at theathletic.com. That's M-B-U-L-T-M-A-N at theathletic.com, or you can tweet it to either Prashant or myself. Um, so Phil emailed this one in, and we're going to kind of talk through... Um, where the Red Wings are at with, with all their prospects. It, it's a good time at the end of the the year to kind of look back on, on the progress of some of these guys, what their seasons held, what, and what we think is kind of next for them. And so we can start right at the top with the one that we've talked about the most, probably don't need to talk about it a ton right now. Um, but Mort Cider. is actually the only one whose season's really not over as he still goes in the SHL finals, although his team's actually down in their series right now. Um, What did you see from Morris Seider and what's next for him? I mean,
2: what can't you say about him right now? He's just been an absolute uh, dynamite in in the SHL. He's been arguably the best defenseman in the league over there, doing it at 19 years of age. I mean, uh, he looks more than ready to come over to the NHL, and that's exactly where you'll see him next year. But uh, not really much more to, to add on top of that. He's just been outstanding.
1: Yep, I agree. And, and you, I'm sure you've seen uh, as we have, uh, you know, all the, the highlight clips of him running people over in the SHL. He's also scored at a nearly unprecedented rate for a player his age in the SHL did slow down um, just a little bit in the playoffs. But again, you expect that that's when the hockey gets harder. And the offense isn't necessarily the, the calling card. Was that It's one of the great things about his game is if he scores, it's just a huge bonus because it's not the, the pillar of his game. If he scores, that's what takes him, you know, from, from a really good player to a great player. Um, but even if the puck's not going in uh, for him or, or off his teammate sticks off of his passes, um, you know, Moritz probably going to make a big impact on the Red Wings uh, in relatively short order.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think he's going to be a kind of guy that's going to tilt the ice in your favor and whether it's him recording the points or the guys in, in front of him, uh, Play is going to be going in the favor of the Red Wings.
1: Yeah, sixty percent shot share. Last I checked uh, yep. in the SHL form.
2: Yeah, yeah, sixty percent for the regular season. I think when I last checked the playoffs prior to the final starting, he was at fifty-seven percent. So, I mean, he's still doing it against the yeah. best teams in the league. There,
1: pretty outstanding. All right, and then his uh, well, it's not his fellow Swede, but his fellow SHL player is Lucas Raymond, uh, fourth overall pick from last year. Injury shortened season. He's missed the last two plus months. I mean, he, for Linda, season has been over for a couple weeks now. What do you see in store for Lucas Raymond? He has now signed his ELC. Yeah, I mean, you've got his ELC signed. I think, you know, if you're Detroit,
2: you could certainly opt to leave him in in London for another year. Uh, My bias would be to bring him over to North America. I think we've talked a little bit on the show about how for system is kind of a a lower event system, a lower scoring system. The point totals aren't going to pop off uh, because of that. I think they were the third lowest scoring team in the SHL this year, if I remember correctly, or... Uh, close to that um, off the top of my head. I mean, they were they really don't put a lot of pucks uh, in the net, and that's because of the style of hockey they play. So my bias would be bring uh, Lucas Raymond over to North America. You'll likely end up with him starting in Grand Rapids, although just like we talked about with Jonathan Bergeron, I think he deserves a shot to to crack the NHL and uh, have the opportunity to have space made for him if he deserves to be there. Uh, but I think he's a dynamic playmaker that just needs uh, – you know, maybe to play with the puck on a stick a little bit more and and kind of see what he can do. But either way, I think you're seeing him in North America next year.
1: I agree with that. I, I, I'd kind of leave you know th- that question um, of, of North America or Sweden, honestly, a little bit up to him and where he feels more comfortable. Because I agree with what you said. Um, you know, he needs to play with the puck on his stick as much as he as he can because ultimately that's what you're hoping. Uh, he becomes for you as a player who really impacts the game with the puck on his stick, with the passes that he makes, and the you know in entries he's able to create, uh, and in the shots he's able to take. I think he can really be a multi-dimensional forward. Again, I don't see him in the opening night lineup, but I'm certainly more than uh, willing to be proved wrong at, at training camp, and I'm I would imagine the Red Wings kind of feel that way as well. Yeah, I mean or at the bare
2: minimum, you have to have the flexibility to make it happen. Right. If he yeah. if he comes in and he knocks down the doors, you have to be in a position to do it.
1: Yep, I agree. And and, and it's really not unprecedented for a player one year out from their draft to to do it. I just do wonder with the missed time at the end of the season, it's not like he blew the doors off the SHL this year. He had a good year, but it wasn't uh this guy's too good for this league kind of year in in the way that honestly it kind of ended up becoming for more at um, and so I, I do wonder, especially after, you know, that injury cost him the back half of the year, if that does, you know, maybe make it more likely that he d- is not in the NHL lineup on day one.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and again, the challenge with evaluating Raymond's game just comes down to how, you know, again, the first thing people like to look for is the point Points. totals and, yeah. and they're just not there. to really signal that, you know, he's, he's jumping off the ice to you. But I think the one thing that. I'll point out that maybe somewhat exciting is so at five on five, his uh, goals for percentage was 55.6%. That means when he's on the ice for London scored 55.6% of the goals that were scored at five on five when he was off the ice, that actually dropped to 46.7%. So, you know, having almost a 10% tilt in his favor uh, is an encouraging sign that when he's on the ice, the team is being able to at least drive production in, in, in the right direction or in their favor.
1: Yeah, no, that's very important. I mean, it's ultimately probably more than points what he'll be actually measured on by a coaching staff when he, when he is in North America and over there for that matter.
2: Yeah, and I think that's one of the nice traits about Raymond is uh, he's coming over as a more polished uh, winger. I think we talk a lot about his playmaking, his hockey sense, um, but you know he was billed up to his draft as a two-way dogged four checker that will chase you down on the back check as well. And so I do think he's got the capacity to be that kind of two-way play driving forward. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a span somewhere between Nino Niederreiter and, and, and Mark Stone. Somewhere in between there is what you're maybe
0: hoping that he turns out to be. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you used your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: I also think that kind of the physical maturity is going to be key for him. How much strength does he put on this offseason and getting himself ready for for the NHL and and to play against, he's going to play against men either way, but to play against the biggest, fastest, strongest, all in one package that that the NHL encompasses. But he's got a lot of time for that. So uh, we'll see where that takes him. We covered Bergeron. Do we need to spend any more time on Vlano now that he's in Detroit? I think people kind of seen him here now.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. I think uh, the expectation would be he's back in Detroit to start next season.
1: And then you go to Albert Johansson, who uh, had a really good year, 19 points in 44 games uh, for Fari Is that right? I think that's right. I haven't checked it. Uh, yeah, yeah, 19 points in 44 games. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a good year for him. And, and so he, he now, I think, is a guy that you look at. He's one that I'm curious about where they slot him. I think, in my mind, it would be between the SHL and AHL. I think based on our past conversations, you would at least entertain the NHL.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to entertain the NHL with him. And, and he's a guy that really flew under the radar because yeah. of how dominant Sider was in the SHL. But there was a point in time where over the last six seasons, uh, at at one point, Sider and Johansson were the most productive defensemen um, Though their seasons this year. Of any defenseman in the last six years in the SHL, they both kind of slid their last couple of games to where it didn't end up being that way. But both of their seasons finished in the top ten best offensive scoring seasons for defensemen in the SHL in the last six years. So you know Johansson has a lot of skills. He's a he's a guy who can carry the puck up. He can break out of his zone well. Very smooth skater and another guy that tilts the ice in his favor. I mean, at five on five, his goals for percentage was sixty two point three percent. Uh, and, and when you end up looking at him, uh, when he was off the ice that, that dips down significantly from there. So, you know, I, I think he's a guy that could be a kind of under the radar or maybe a dark horse candidate to, to steal one of those left-sided spots, depending what the Red Wings do with, uh, Danny DeKaiser. Again, he's potentially a buyout candidate this year with only one year left. Um, if Dennis Chalowski is claimed, uh, or if you know the wings end up not electing to bring back a John Merrill or anybody else like that, I think you have uh, a, a potential opening for a guy like Johansson to come in and knock down the doors.
1: Another guy who I think the physical maturity is going to be key for. How strong can he get? But uh, you know, would he be the skinniest player in the NHL? Not necessarily. Not even close. <laughs> well, I mean, Jack Hughes exists. So Jack yeah. Hughes exists, right? <laughs> But Jack Hughes, a little bit different, you know, overall picture there, a little more urgency with the number one overall pick usually, but I, I get your point. So uh, Johansson, I think, had a really good year. I picked him as my uh, breakout prospect coming into the season. Jonathan Bergeron uh, made sure that there was no chance anyone else was getting that uh, title. But I still think Johansson more or less lived up to what you were hoping to see from him. It, was, it would have been hard to ask for much more from him, certainly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what more you could have asked from him. I mean, he was he was one of the best defensemen in the SHL this year and just didn't get enough uh, recognition or credit for it. I mean, he scored well, drove play um, in the favor of his team, did most of his damage at even strength, which is again, another encouraging sign. I think he only had one power play assist of all of his point totals. So, you know, a very, very interesting guy that when he comes over, I mean, shoot, I would not rule out him being available for the NHL roster.
1: Very interesting to watch play out. I still think he'll be a little slower, but again, that's kind of a theme here that, that uh, I'm, I'm more on the, on the cautious uh, end of things here. And, and I think you're ready to push the pace. And I think there's a lot of merit to that for what it's worth.
2: I mean, look, I just want to see something different, right? I've been watching <laughs> the same thing for the last five years. Give me something different.
1: Absolutely. Hey, you know, who's been really good in the um, Finnish league playoffs is Emil Viro. He's a third round pick from this, uh, this past draft. Um, we don't have quite the level of advanced stats or anything on the Finnish players that we do on the Swedes, um, but when you look at Vero and you see the way that, that he's played in the playoffs with some big goals over there for uh, TPS and in the regular season, I know it's primitive, but you know a plus 12 for that team, which you know for a 18-year-old defenseman in that league is outstanding. Uh, Is this another guy who could maybe be on the? You know, he signed his. Did he sign? He hasn't signed an ELC yet, right? I don't believe he's signed. Oh, because his season's still going. But he's the guy who it wouldn't stun me to see an ELC um, if the Red Wings wanna wanted to rush it a little bit. He's played basically two years of pro now.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that again, you know, for the Red Wings to be able to get him where they got him, uh, and then have him go out and have just a really solid season. Um, you know, for TPS and Liga. I mean, he's, he's going to be a heck of a hockey player for them. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they take a Gustav Lindstrom type of route with them, get the quick signing of the ELC, bring him over to North America um, and get him in Grand Rapids quickly because he's a, I think he's a really solid defensive defenseman um, that can skate well, plays his gaps well. Um, you know, can make a good breakout pass. He's certainly not going to be a guy you're going to see on the score sheet all that often, but I just think he's a really solid, you know, second pairing kind of guy. I mean, uh, the Red Wings could very much use him over there, you know, uh, use him in terms of panning out. So my, my, my bias would be I would sign a ZLC this summer and then bring him over to Grand Rapids for next
1: year. Skating for him really popped at the World Juniors. I mean, he was a guy who the mobility really stood out from what he put on tape in, in uh, where was that, Edmonton Red Deer?
2: I think it was Red Deer, but I can't yeah. remember for Alberta, sure. Alberta, we'll yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But, I mean, you know, that's that's kind of the unique thing about him is, you know, whenever people talk about defensive defensemen, you always think of this big, hulking, kind of slower defenseman that kind of just throws their weight around. That's really not Vero whatsoever. He's almost a similar build to, to Albert Johansson, maybe a little bit uh, a little Thicker. bit more weight. Although elite yeah. prospects doesn't necessarily give him a more weight. They both have him listed at 165 <laughs> pounds, but I think he is built a little bit uh, you know more sturdy than than Johansson. But he's he does all of his stuff through his skating, positioning, and his ability to read the play and close gaps. So that's what excites you about this. It's not just a guy winning defensive battles because of his size, he's winning it because of his brain and his ability to move his feet. And so I think I'm, I'm kind of excited about what he can bring over in Grand Rapids. And again, another guy that potentially factors into the future for the Red Wings.
1: I think a lot of those same things you just said uh, would apply to the other Red Wings third round pick from 2020 Donovan Sabrango.
2: Yeah. I mean, Sabrango got moved quicker than I think a lot of people expected, although out of necessity, necessity, (laughs) right (laughs) out of necessity, being able to play in the AHL this year. Um, And he has not looked out of place for, you know, those who have been able to catch a lot of the Griffins games. I think he's been a very solid addition to their blue line provides again, some of that, uh, you know, grit, that uh, defensive ability. Again, another guy that's not going to be on the score sheet, like we just said with Vero, but has has done well and held his own, i think at the a h l level
1: yep he has and and the fact that the o h l got cancelled i think sets up a really you know interesting situation for him next year where he's gonna have effectively played twenty five to thirty games against uh you know true pros in the a h l guys that are you know in many instances ten years older than him, and then you're gonna go ask him to to spend his uh next year in the o h l uh, against guys his own age and you know maybe that sets him enough to dominate maybe that really is is not a uh you know ideal development path for him though you know i i think it's it's always fine to go to go uh, to a level and, and be the man there but to the point that i think you've made in the past don't you want to be kind of always still pushing 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 and not you know letting guys kind of just stay there too long and have it be too easy for him
2: yeah, I think that's the huge concern with Sabrango going backwards by such a huge degree. I mean, there's a huge step down from the AHL to the OHL. Um, you have to wonder, you know, do you end up picking up bad habits that you can get away with at the OHL level that you couldn't get away with at the AHL level? And do you ultimately see some sort of regression or even stagnation of his development? Because he doesn't necessarily have to do as much to be that as successful You know, all of that's hypothetical. You don't really know the answer to that. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, the NHL and the CHL work out this agreement where, you know, like you offered on the last episode, Max, potentially you, you know, waive the need to go back for the guys that were able to play in the AHL this year. Um, You know, you're talking about guys like Quentin Byfield, although he likely would have done that anyways, um, and, and, you know, other players that were able to benefit from no OHL season. Potentially you waive, you exempt them from having to go back and then you just pick up the agreement as it is. And, and hopefully it works out like that. Cause if not, I am a little nervous about him going backwards to, by such a degree.
1: Yeah. My, my argument would be for an exceptional circumstance, you know, anyone who spent more than let's say 15 games in the AHL this season should be allowed to stay in the AHL next season. Um, that'd be my pitch, I guess, you know, there's nothing behind that. This is completely me free, uh, you know, free offering this up here. But, um, that would be my, my pitch to make is that, you know, you can't really ask a kid to do that. I mean, even like a, even like a Brandt Clark, like, you know, he goes and he plays uh, against men in Slovakia all year. Like, I, I know that ultimately he was going to come back to the OHL if, if the OHL started up, but like, I don't know how you can go from, from playing against men. And I, I know every year guys do it. Like, didn't Jan Misak or whatever go from playing against men last year to the OHL mid season? And yeah. I know what happens. I just think it's a, it's a big ask of a kid to, to do that. And I, I do wonder what effects it has. I mean, I guess no one ever complained about piling up points and and playing against, you know, competition that you were able to dominate against. But I I do think there's a lot to be said for, you know, staying at the level that, you know, once you've been challenged at this level, being allowed to continue to be challenged by that level and and make those improvements at that level and not kind of use it as a little lab and then take it back to the OHL where you know, maybe you can, you know, work on some of the things that you learned you need to work on in the AHL, but you're not doing it against the same kind of pressure against the same kind of competition.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then I think the frustrating part for Sobrango is uh, by the NHL-CHL agreement, Sobrango misses the ability to be exempt from this by 12 days. His birthday Mm. is January 12th. You have to be 20 by December 31st of that year. So he's literally missing it by 12 days to be able to stay in the AHL level, um, which is just it's just so frustrating that that's what ends up being the difference here. Um, So I am hopeful that there is some sort of exemption or, or some other amendment worked in so that he doesn't have to go back and do this along with a handful of the other guys that have to.
1: Yeah. One guy who we do expect to be back in Grand Rapids next year is Jared McIsaac. I didn't even expect him to be healthy to play this year. Someone asked me like a week before he came back if there was an update on him. And I went and I, I I looked at my uh, inbox from when the surgery happened and it said it'd be whatever, five to six months. And I said, okay, it's barely hasn't even been five or maybe it's barely been five. So uh, I wouldn't count on seeing him at all this year. A week later, he's in the lineup and he's played seven games. And you know, I think for him just to get back this year again, this happened the last time he had shoulder surgery too. He made it back in time for the World Juniors. Ultimately, I do think this says a lot about Jared McIsaac that he's he's getting himself back from these injuries. He's working really hard to get it on the front end of these timelines. It certainly tells you something about him as a kid. You definitely want him to stay healthy at, at some point, and I, I promise he wants it more than anybody else. Um, but what do you envision for Jared McIsaac this year? I mean, you know, points wise, I don't think it was ever going to be the, the move to measure, uh, his, his, uh, you know, progress by his points this year, coming back from that, but he does have, uh, one assist in seven games so far. Yeah. I
2: think a lot of people, I think well, really time is going to be the biggest thing with, with McIsaac because he was a guy that was very, very promising coming into, uh, you know, the draft and then ultimately he's had multiple shoulder injuries that have really derailed his development. Um, but, I mean, he's a guy that if he can get back to that level where, I mean, he was a point-per-game defenseman um, for Halifax, uh, you know, and then uh, I, I think he's a guy that can maybe offer you a little bit more point scoring and, and a little bit more of that two-way, rounded-out game than maybe Vero or um, Sabrango. But the, the issue that you run into is now, you know, McIsaac is now in his D-plus-three year, he is a couple years ahead of both of those guys. The The time is sort of running out to see more of that from him. But if you can get a full year healthy next year, all in Grand Rapids, um, I think that'll be the key to seeing kind of what his trajectory is going to look like moving forward.
1: Yeah, and it's ultimately a guy who's still just turned 21. Like, you know, right. I don't think the clock is is that loud for him yet, especially when you, when you talk about in comparison to a guy like a Chalowski who you know, what two, two drafts before McIsaac was, yep. was uh and, and he's only kind of just now, you know, if, if he even is right now, kind of establishing himself on um, the NHL. I think he's looked pretty good with Phil Pronick, by the way, but um, I think McIsaac has time to, to get it worked out. Maybe, maybe you learn something from, um, the Chalowski path, and you, you you make sure he's ready before you bring him up. I don't. I'm, a bit, I'm a very different situations because the injury either way. For what it's worth, when I watched Grand Rapids, which I have not watched all seven of his games, but the games I have watched of theirs uh, with him in the lineup, I think he's looked uh, like he fits in. He doesn't look out of place. He looks pretty smooth, uh, and, and so I, to me, I think you know you give him a, a full summer uh, on the ice and, and and working with the skills coaches, and then you 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 get him back for next season, give him a full season. Uh, you know, I, I would be very curious to see, I think he's a guy who can reestablish himself kind of in the way that Berggren did this year. Berggren was starting to drift off the radar after injuries in in the last two years before this year. And he put himself not just back on it, but on it in a big way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're hoping for with McIsaac, again, and I'll clarify like my comments about, you know, time running out. So kind of the way I view a lot of these prospects is from the time of their draft, when they're 18 years old. I give kind of like a seven-year clock and that's your seven-year clock to become an NHL regular player. Um, And if you're not an NHL regular at 25, there's a solid chance that there's not a lot left. You know, there's not really a lot left for you to develop more. There's certainly cases where you have guys just take massive jumps, you know, after that time point, I think, you know, William Carlson's the example that always gets thrown around. Um, But, you know, Carlson was still in the NHL. He just wasn't, you know, scoring 40 goals like he did for Vegas as soon as he got sent over there. Jonathan Marcheseau is another guy that kind of falls that. But you set a couple of those oddities aside. By and large, if you're not an NHL regular player by the age of 25, there's a solid chance you're not going to be an NHL regular player. And so when you have these guys lose those developmental years, it's basically like now instead of having seven days to cram for a test, you have four days to cram for a test. And you have to, you can still get the same information, but I think your curve sort of steepens in terms of how much you need to learn and how quickly it needs to happen because that 25 clock is not just the player necessarily aging out of their peak, but it's also all the guys drafted behind them on their development curves. And so that's why I kind of put that arbitrary clock out there as kind of a a rough guideline on how to view these players. So, you know, McIsaac having lost, you know, really two years to kind of the shoulder injuries, he's working from behind the curve. And so that's not to say he can't get there, but he has more work to do than the guys behind him. And I think he's got all the talent in the world. There's a reason why people thought he was a steal when the Red Wings got him in the 30s in the 2018 draft. A lot of people had him as a first-round talent. Uh, So he has that potential. It's just his curve is now needs to be accelerated.
1: Good point. All right. Another guy uh, who uh, you could say that kind of seven year clock is ticking for, although, you know, much kind of less high profile prospect as McGuides, who is an early second round pick, is Chase Pearson. 2015, fifth round pick. He's 23, going to be 24 this summer. You know, when I looked this week, he's having a pretty good year for the Grand Rapids Griffins, 17 points in 23 games. He's actually third on the team in scoring behind only Riley Barber, uh, who's a point-per-game guy, and Tar Horosi who's right there as a point-per-game guy. Chase Pearson, of course, can also play center. He's a bigger body. Uh, you know, as, as under 24 AHL players go, this is not an uncompetitive total for him. No,
2: it's really not, and he's doing it in a, in a decent role. I think uh, pick uh, 224 has an estimated playing almost 17 minutes a night um, with a solid even strength uh, goals for percentage of 52%. I mean, he's a guy that uh, if you decide that you're not going to bring back any of those veteran centers, you're going to part ways with Sam Gagne, you're going to part ways with Glenn Denning, you're going to part ways with Darren Helm. Potentially, this is a guy you bring up to your fourth line and and let him see if he can handle those duties. Um, And and I've been a long advocate for bringing some of those younger players in to handle some of those bottom six roles when you are able to do that, because I think it's really the only way you're ever going to be able to see what you have in these guys. Otherwise, you're continuing to re-sign them and give them those contracts while uh, not really ever having a place for them at the NHL level, which I think is... Number one, it takes up just one of your your contracts that you get your 50 contracts, right. And then number two, it's, it's sort of like, well, what's the development for the development plan for this player to ever get that opportunity? And then again, you know, as that clock starts to tick, uh, and these guys behind him start to pass them by, like all of a sudden that window starts to close and close and close. And so I'd like to see him get an opportunity to play on the fourth line next year. I think he could be, an effective energy guy for the wings. Um, But time will tell. I mean, I guess we'll just see the route they end up going, but if you end up bringing back two of those veteran players, I don't see how there's any space for him
1: moving forward. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
3: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen-hundred-dollar first bet offer on your first wager. It's right about on par
1: with where now. Luke Lynn Denning has a you know a clear skill set at that age. Uh, you know, he, he was a defensive stopper, almost. You know, right about this same age in his career in the NHL, going up against that Johnson line in the playoffs. But it is, for the record, right about where Luke Glendening was producing uh, at this same age, at the same point in his career. Yeah, and
2: so uh, give him a shot, right? Glendening had the work ethic that was unmatched, and that's how that's what allowed him to carve out his yep. role at the NHL level, and basically not allow him to be sent anywhere. So you would need the same thing from Chase Pearson if you're going to ultimately part ways with Glenn Denning this offseason. And so I think if you approach him with that kind of mentality saying, look, we'll give you a shot, but you got to work your butt off here um, to to keep that spot. I, I mean, he seems like the kind of guy that would respond to that.
1: We'll see how it goes. I also, again, I'm someone who thinks that if they brought back Luke Lindenning for a year, that's a fine decision. Ultimately, you don't have to have Chase Pearson in the opening night lineup. You know, like you said, he may never have a spot as a regular on this team. That's totally plausible as an outcome here. And as a fifth round pick, that's kind of what you expect. But if you want, if you want to have him learn from Luke Lindenning or anything like that, you know, that's an option here too. Yeah, it really is. So, but a nice season for Chase Pearson, no matter what happens there. Uh, I've gotten kind of derailed as I map out all these prospects. We should probably get to Elmer Soderblom in the SHL, um, and and although he played a little bit, did he did he go to the Alsfenskin for any amount of time, or did he just, was that just no
2: Niederbach? J J twenty? Yeah, Niederbach's the only one that I think went all if I remember correctly.
1: So let's do both of those two here, back to back, starting with Soderblom.
2: Yeah, I mean Soderblom, obviously a behemoth of a player that we've talked about a handful of times, you know, on the show. I think he's an outstanding hockey player and really a guy that's kind of burst onto the scene as a sixth round pick from 2019. I don't think a lot of people were expecting that much from him, but I mean, sure enough, he is uh, forced his way onto Ferlunda and played a handful of games for them at the big leagues um, and didn't look necessarily out of place. I mean, we've seen his uh, insane skill from the world juniors. Um, he's a guy that is very intriguing to me. I'm not really sure what to make of him and, and kind of what he's going to be able to do uh, at the NHL level. And as he continues to progress, I think he's maybe a guy that would benefit from a larger role um, in the SHL for another season. So if you look at him, he played 25 games for uh, or 28 games for, for London this year, I believe, but played just about nine minutes a night. Uh, So he's a guy that potentially, if you bring Lucas Raymond over and he's not on that team anymore um, and you open up maybe a spot for, for, Uh, Soderblom to be able to move up in the lineup, I think that would be a more attractive option as opposed to bringing him over to Grand Rapids, at least at this point.
1: Yeah, I I think Soderblom, you're thinking still long, long term. The the irony is he's the biggest of these guys. He's the one that probably would be pushed around the least if he were to come over uh, into the NHL tomorrow. But I I would slow play this one quite a bit. And I think you're still looking you know, multiple years out with Elmer Soderblom, if if he's going to make it. Um, And again, uh, being picked where he is, that should not be your expectation, but he's done enough in these two, he's still only 19 years old to think that, you know, you know, he he will turn 20 this summer, but to think that, you know, he's he's given himself at least, uh, he's put himself on the radar. We'll we'll put it that way.
2: Yeah. and, And again, remember the default you should have for the sixth round pick is they're not an NHL player. They're barely an AHL player. Right. And so to have a guy that's on your radar for being on your NHL roster, um, you know, in their D plus uh, two year here, I, I think that's really exciting. So I, I would keep the expectations tempered. You're going to continue to slow play this. I want to see more of them at the SHL level where, you know, as the level increases, the question increasingly will become is he successful because of his size or is he able to use his size to be successful? Yeah. Um, that'll be the question for Soderblom as he gets a bigger and bigger roles. But yeah, I think you'll see him uh, maybe with a bigger role in the SHL next year.
1: And I think you would probably say the same for Theodore Niederbach second round pick this year. Um, he spent time in three different places, well, two different places, but three different levels this year uh, dominated the, the J 20 level with front like absolute monster, almost two points per game there until that league got shut down then he ends up loaned out to the uh, where he's really good against men. Nine points in 15 games for a player in his draft plus one. That's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, and then he ends up uh, back in Falunda for the end of the year. And, and he had some games early on as well. He ends up with five points in 20 games. I think that's pretty comparable to what Soderblom did. Um, And he's obviously not the physical uh, presence that Elmer Soderblom is, but uh, the hockey sense is kind of the story with Theodore Niederbach. And this is a guy you're hoping can someday become um, an offensive piece for your offensive weapon, ideally a center for you um, for the Red Wings down the line. Um, A good year for Theodore, I would say. Yeah. I mean, a really good year
2: It's a little bit unfortunate kind of how Fralunda's system was kind of set up from the year and that he was a guy that was way too good for J20. But they didn't they just couldn't give him the minutes necessary at the SHL and so ends up loaned out to the Svenskin. that's fine I mean I think he played well in the Allsvenskan he you know he scored well drove play um, got 17 minutes a night that's the kind of season you needed to see from him Um, you know did it over playing with uh, William Wallander on moto so you know a, a good good opportunity for him there and then I think Moving forward, you're looking for the exact same thing as Soderblom. Hopefully, hoping he gets a bigger role uh, with Frölunda next season and can continue to kind of carve out his his really good two way game. I mean, he was a guy that I was extremely excited about when he was drafted. He's a high hockey IQ player, um, a guy that can really do everything for you. Projects to maybe be a second line center um, at the NHL level. You know, if all the cards kind of fall right, so uh, another one to watch in the SHL next year.
1: And then another uh, Swede, another second round pick from this year, William Wallander. Uh, you know he he's his program in Moto is in the and so I'm curious to see uh, where he goes for next year. Does he stay in Moto? Is there another team that he ends up playing for there? Um, but he didn't blow the doors off the Allsvenskan either. I mean, six points in forty three games. He's a minus twelve on the season. I mean, that, that certainly. Uh, this is a player who, since the day he was drafted, we've been saying, think about this pick four years down the road, uh, more so than than as an immediate timeline kind of thing. What do you want to see out of William Wallander uh, through this summer and, and, and into next year?
2: I think the big thing you want to see with Wallander is him continue to work on, you know, his end zone kind of defensive coverages, his ability to recognize plays earlier, um, his ability to understand uh, kind of when to switch off, when to rotate with, his ability to to pick up players through traffic, and then his ability to close gaps. I think really a lot of Wallander's work is going to be on the defensive side of the puck. Uh, I think he's a good skater. Uh, he's got all the tools you want to see. I mean, he can join the rush. He can, you know, play that offensive game, but he's not going to be successful at the NHL level until he can round out his own in-zone defensive coverage, um, you know, didn't look great in all this year, had a 40.9% five on five goals, for percentage, which was, you know, 12% worse than when, uh, when he was off the ice. So, you know, that's not encouraging in that sense, but you're hoping that he continues to work this out. I mean, at the time of the draft, he was a project player and you're hoping that he uh, continues to just put the time in and, and get those
1: developments moving forward. The final 2020 second round pick the Red made this year was Cross Hannes. Uh, we I think have talked earlier this season on the show about the struggles he had in the USHL this year, 16 points in 27 games. Which when you compare it to what he did in his draft year in the WHL, not all that impressive. He's he's had two games back in the WHL um, since returning, and you know zero points in those games. But it's just two games, but. Um, where are you at on Crosshannis right now? How how high should the panic threshold be, or do you kind of are you pretty willing to throw this year out uh, given the circumstances?
2: You know, he, he did have the challenge of number one jumping from the WHL to the USHL, which is just an odd transition. It's a very different style uh, of, of hockey in the USHL compared to the WHL. So, you know, that was that was a huge challenge for him. I think he was very frustrated with it. I mean, you saw it. I think he had. Multiple games where he had multiple misconducts, finished with 99 penalty minutes in 27 games, and the USHL really struggled to score and contribute, um, you know, I guess in any meaningful way with Lincoln. He was, you know, once the WHL picked back up, he was able to get a couple games in, um, you know, back with Portland, but again, wasn't able to get on the score sheet. He's a guy who, at the time of the pick, was a bit of a reach. I think a lot of people had him in the 70s and 80s on their boards, at least in the public boards. The Wings take him at 55. He's a guy with great hands, can do a lot of things with the puck, but you need to see more from his skating, more from his ability to move his feet, and more willingness to play that defensive coverage for him to move forward. I think this is maybe, I don't know that you should say the panic button is high because you know, obviously we'll see what he does in a more normal year next year, but he's a guy who already has kind of had the deck stacked against him being that he was sort of a reach relative to public perception and has a lot of things that he's got to work on to get to that next level. So I am a little bit nervous about, you know,
1: him kind of making that transition and continuing to take steps forward. All right. And then uh, last one, we'll do 2019 second round pick Robert Master Simone forward from Boston university. Statistically, Basically gave you the same thing he gave you as a freshman. BU was in a tough spot. They only played, I think, 15 games, or at least he only played 15 games. Uh, and so Robert Mastro-Simone is a guy who I think you're you're starting to look toward next year. But again, this is a guy who, when you when you talk about college players, the junior year is crucially important because if they have to go back for their senior year, it puts free agency on the table. Uh, really, if you're the Red Wings, you are hoping for a huge breakthrough junior year from Robert Mastro-Simone. Uh, and, and I think that that's a pretty important one to watch coming into next year. Maybe one of the most important ones to watch next year.
2: Yeah, I think he's probably the most important one to watch because he was a guy again, at the time of the draft, a lot of people had him penciled in as potentially a second or third line winger, you know, the relentless motor, great shot, um, ability to kind of manipulate, uh, shooting angles. A lot of the things that, uh, were really, really exciting to see. And then, you know, with, with the challenges of the NCAA, with the challenges at BU, um, didn't really have a great sophomore season um, in the way that you were hoping he would. So, yes, I think he's probably the most important one to watch uh, for next season in terms of whether or not the Wings will have another, um, you know, top six, top nine winger or if they need to, you know, or, or where he's going to maybe project and fall, um, I guess, after if, if he doesn't end up looking like that.
1: Yeah. I forgot to put out a mailbag call today, but uh, I actually had one handy. So we'll just do that as our one mailbag uh, offering for today, if that works. That works. All right. Dan Falconer uh, wants us to talk about Jonathan Bernier. And if the Red Mings specifically do not bring back Bernier, who could be brought in for 21-22, specifically when it comes to free agency?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is the million-dollar question. I think Bernier's a guy who has been incredible for the Red Wings over the last two years. Um, Really, really can't say enough about just, number one, his performance in 2019-2020. I think that was uh, remarkable, and I believe he's deserved a Vezina consideration at at certain times. Um, Obviously, that didn't end up working out that way. And this year, I think he's been just as good. And now with Grace picking up, I think you can argue the Wings have, you know, arguably one of the top five goalie tandems in the league. So you bring him back, you can certainly run that back. I don't think he costs you more than he really cost you this year. Um, you know, at $3 million, potentially maybe $3.5 million is, is where you end up landing him. But if, if you do go the free agency route, I think there's a handful of guys you can look at. Um, you know, last year I was advocating for Thomas Grace, and, and, and the Wings ended up with Thomas Grace. If you don't go that uh, route, you know, James Reimer has looked pretty solid in Carolina He's had his ups and downs, but it looks like he might be an odd man out with uh, Alex Nedeljkovic uh, really, you know, coming on strong. And Peter Mrazek is a few years younger than him, so I think that's probably how Carolina stays. You know, Dave Riddich is a guy who got moved from Calgary to Toronto. Um, I think he's a guy who can potentially come in and backstop a, a, a few games for you. So that that's another option there in free agency. And then outside of that. You know, you can always revisit the, the conversation with the Rangers and see if they're willing to part with one of their goalies. You yeah. know, between Gheorghev and and, and um, you know, uh, and, and who's the other one here that I'm forgetting? Max.
1: Well, it was Lundqvist, but he's gone. But then Shosturkin obviously is their number right. one. Yeah,
2: yeah. And so if they run back with Shosturkin and and, and Georgiev, or if you can again pry Georgiev away from them, I think that's another way to think about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those are a couple of guys that you can look at in free agency. I think my money would probably be first bring back Jonathan Bernier, but if not, I think James Reimer, Dave Rittich are probably two reasonable options. That'll be relatively cheap.
1: Any interest in Chris Treger?
2: I don't think so based on what he's going to cost. I think he's played himself into a contract north of 4 million. I don't know if everyone believes that. That's sort of my inclination at the moment is that he probably played himself in that regard. And if I'm Florida, I'm finding a way to see if I can do a sign in trade or something so I can get something for him. Uh, But yeah, I'll be I'll be intrigued to see what happens with him.
1: He's the only guy who stands out on the free agent market as young enough that you could potentially hope that they become a longer term solution. But you know, I, I do believe kind of one of the, the themes that you've stressed on this podcast for a long time is that you know, a long-term goalie solution is kind of a, you, you, you can kind of tell yourself you have one, but it, you have, you're going to have to be reassessing it every year anyway. It's not the worst thing to keep having short-term ones. And from that framework, I think even if you stripped away the names and their current teams, Jonathan Brady would be one of the first names you land on uh, in free agency as, as guys who fit. Yeah,
2: I mean, that's where I'm at, because again, you know, you can go back and go through this. Look at all the goalie contracts that are longer than four years when you attempt to lock in your long-term deal. How many of them actually remain good contracts for the duration of the contract? Um, Outside of Henrik Lundqvist, I can't really say that, you know, many do. I mean, we're already talking about Carey Price's decline. We've talked about Jonathan Quick's decline for a couple of years. Um, You know, Sergei Bravovsky, look where he's at. I think that's already a huge issue. So, you know, there are guys out there that are attractive and you want to maybe lock them up for several years and it may work out for you for a short period of time. And maybe that's enough to win you a cup. But if the, the concern is then when you move past those years where maybe your team is not as stacked and now you've got a lot of money tied up in those goalies, I just I don't know that I would go that route. And I think that's sort of what Dreger is looking for or will be receiving in terms of offers. So I don't I don't think that the wings should be in contention here.
1: All right, anything else before we wrap it up? I think that's it. Just extend our open invitation right now to uh John Davidson and Jeff Gordon if they'd like to come on the podcast this week next week. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, I mean if they'd like to come in and talk about um you know their their, their version of the events i'm I'm more than happy to listen to that. We can talk about how you know the the nineteen ninety four New York Knicks would look on the ice. I'm very curious to see who the uh Anthony Mason equivalent would be so I'd, I'd love to get their take on that.
1: All right, well, Jeff and John, consider it official. You're free to come on Wings for Breakfast. Uh, DM me, and we'll make it happen. For the rest of you, uh, we will talk to you on Monday. Take care.